0: On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome to the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I am your host. Today we continue this installment of the E-Series with Conversations in Care, Working Together, a conversation between CEO of Hospice of the Piedmont, Trent Cockrum, and Hospice Nurse Lynette White. Let's get started. Trent joined Hospice of the Piedmont in 2013 as the organization's third CEO since its founding in 1981. Prior to joining the organization, Trent worked for 16 years in long-term care with Triad Medical Services in Yadkinville, overseeing operations and management of a statewide network of almost 2,000 long-term care beds. Most recently, he led the organization in navigating a successful merger with Hospice of Randolph. Thanks for being with us again today, Trent. My pleasure, Ryan. Joining Trent today is Lynette White. Lynette has been working as a nurse for the past 12 years. She began her nursing career as an LPN working in long-term care before returning to school for her RN license. Lynette started with our organization in 2014 and has continued serving patients in Randolph County and the surrounding communities ever since. Thank you both for being with us today. Thank you, Ryan. Lynette, I
1: so appreciate your being with me today for um, this conversation. You know, um, as I was thinking about what we might talk about today, um, as Ryan introduced you, it's clear you've worked in a lot of different settings, a couple different settings at least. Mm -hmm. What what led you to hospice?
2: Um, A couple of experiences really. The first one, when I worked in long-term care, um, I was working one evening and I had a patient that was very near end of life. So I was making, making frequent checks on the patient that night. And I went in one time and he opened his eyes and he took my hand and he asked me, he said, please don't leave me alone. And that touched my heart. And just made me feel like, you know, just my presence being with someone when they're, <clears throat> where, in, where, where they are at in that process. Um, I felt like, you know, I could do this. I could help someone else along the way. And then that, on a more personal note, <clears throat> was an experience that I had with my dad. Um, now this was like, 22 years ago or so, give or take. My dad was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he was having treatments and we had been in and out of the hospital a couple of times and we were at the hospital at this point. And I had went up to visit with him and I had told my mom to go down, get something to eat, take a break. And I had fed my dad supper that evening and we had talked a little bit and I was sitting in there with him when the nurse came in and they did their thing and they called me outside the door and they told me, you know, if there's any family that you need to call, now's the time to do that. Um, and then went on to say, you know, it could be two hours, it could be two days they just didn't know. Nowhere in that process of my dad being sick had I ever had any communication from anybody that we were that near the end of life with him. Um, I felt stunned when they told me that. I just stood there and I was like frozen. Um, I felt alone.
1: You were a nurse, right, at this point?
2: I felt alone, and I felt like the whole world had just caved in on me. Um, and the nurse, you know, I know they were working on the hospital, and they had other things to do, but there was no compassion. There was no, no help for me at that point, I felt like. So I knew then that hospice I wanted to be there so that no one else would ever have to experience an end of life process like I did at that
1: point. Wow. That's an incredibly powerful story. I appreciate your sharing that. I mean, you were a nurse at this point, right? I mean, so you had all this knowledge, but you were still yet completely unprepared.
2: Actually, no, I was not a nurse at that point. Okay. That's kind of what led me in the direction to go into nursing.
1: I see. Okay. Wow. Um, well, So it sounds like, Lynette, you've seen sort of two different sides of how, you know, not only do people live their lives, but but how, what end of life looks like for people. Um, Do you, it sounds like you have a personal draw to the work that you do in hospice care. Is that a fair statement? That's a very
2: fair statement. Um, You know, I feel like what I do is a personal passion for me to be able to help those that I come in contact with. Um, You know, I'm, um, a person is never prepared for end of life. Um, They're never prepared for losing that one that they love, but just being able to be in the homes with those people um, when they're experiencing this process, and by being able to teach them the things that I, I wasn't taught at that point, being able to, you know, men, mentally prepare them for that, um, even though you're never prepared, you can always continually teach what's going on with the patient so that they know that what to expect when the end comes. Um, So they're not shocked and they're not feeling alone like I did.
1: So, you know, one of the things that you just said sort of makes me think about how we tend to want to apply sort of a formula to life, right? Mm -hmm. How how life sort of happens at predictable moments. Like there are a few things that are predictable in life. Two two of those are bookends. One, we are born, Mm -hmm. uh, and then the second one, we die. And and there's a lot of life that happens between those two bookends of life. Um, And so, you know, as we try to make sense of this, as people who are watching this may be thinking about calling um, our organization or thinking about needs that they may have or or, or that they may have personally in their own family or for, for people they may be connected to, you know, I'm. I'm curious to know your thoughts on, you know, how do we apply, um, the same, the same sort of concepts to be able to fit into people's expectations of how life happens, right? Because realizing no two care experiences are identical. No two
2: are ever identical. Um, <clears throat> You know, there's two memorable times in a person's, in people's lives, you know, we always remember a birth, and we always remember the loss of a loved one. Um, so, and to, to fully answer that question, um,
1: It sounds like, it sounds like what we're talking about is, um, sort of, you know, as we think about how different people experience different points in life and how, what I know about what we do as an organization is we are, you are the sort of the the qualified expert at the bedside. Right. And so I suspect you spend a lot of time sort of preparing patients and families for the next series of events.
2: Yes, um when I'm in the home, you know, uh I'm looking at the patient, but I'm not only looking at the at the patient, but the caregivers and the families as well. And during that time, I'm preparing them in a way um so that they know what to expect next. And that's where I pull out my when death is near book Mm -hmm. and I'm teaching those signs and symptoms that they can look for that kind of can help them understand where they may be in the process um, not only that but just being able to carry on conversations and listen to the family and to the patient uh, and, and you find out what what's really going on in the home and When you do that, then you're able to pull in, you know, other disciplines to help with some of those things that's going on in that home. Um, so, you know, there's a lot to to giving care in the home and a lot of that is just being able to listen, uh, Mm. to, to be able to show that passion and that, uh, being the companionship for them to, in other words, to kind of hold their hand through this process, mm-hmm. uh, so that they don't feel alone.
1: And I suspect that feeling of alone is not just the patient. You're talking about all the people that are surrounding the patient too, right? Mm-hmm. So, Lynette, you you, you mentioned um, part of a team. You you work as part of a team. This is the the now fourth installment of this Conversations in Care that we've been having. And um, folks who've watched previous episodes of this, of of our Conversations in Care series have heard from Joanne Scott, um, or one of our admission nurses, have heard from uh, one of our social workers um, who also has a master's degree in divinity. Um, So they've heard about the spiritual and psychosocial dimensions of care. So talk a little bit about what it means to work as a member of a team from a nursing perspective.
2: Okay, so... You know, to work as a team, you have to kind of kind of focus on who's leading that team. And in hospice care, it's really the patient that's leading that care. Um, they, you know, they chose hospice as a as a pathway towards that end of life process. So when you ha- when you're focused on that patient, um, you know. Like at the admission, uh, it all starts right there. A patient will get a, you know, a doctor, a nurse, um, and a social worker. And then you have the options to get um, a volunteer, an aide. Um, And then, you know, whether or not you take those, when the rest of the team is in that home, and we are building a relationship. We're building that rapport with the families, and we're we're earning their trust. Then, at some point down the road, you know, there might be something that's happened or going on that we say, "Hey, well, this might lead us to think that a volunteer or an aide might be helpful in that home to help them through this process." So as as a team, we're all working together because we kind of know what the patient's goals are um, towards the end of life. You know, most of the time those goals are something like comfort. Um, they may not want to go to the doctor anymore. So <clears throat> as I'm in the home, even though those are the much the typical goals that a person sets to begin with because they really don't know what kind of goals they they want Mm -hmm. at that point. Um, And then as I'm listening to them in conversations, uh, I I pick up on little things and I say, well well, this might be helpful. Uh, I remember one patient in particular that I was in the home and she had she was actually at her daughter's home. Um, she had been unable to care for herself for quite some time. And so when we come on board, I was able to, you know, talk with her. And in conversation, she told me that she wanted to die in the home that her husband had passed in. So, you know, that led to more conversations with the family. And... So we got to talking and we started to develop a plan. Now, it was not only me that was able to make all this become accomplished. Uh, It took the family. It took social workers. It took people behind the scenes, people that were in the office helping to, you know, schedule some of this stuff to to happen because this family's home or this lady's home had been pretty much closed down because she was living with her daughter. It was unlivable. The power had been turned off, the water had been turned off. So I was actually, you know, as a team, we were able to guide them, okay, we need to start working on this. If we're gonna make this happen, we need to go ahead and start working on this, kind of a timeline frame. And so with the help of the team, we were able to get that accomplished for this lady. And I'll never forget the night that we took her in her home and we allowed her to actually lay in her bed that night, her her old bed. And the smile that came on that lady's face was, it meant more to me than anything at that point. And so that's how the team kind of works together. Um, we're focusing on that patient, and, and then we go from there. That's the reason everybody's plan of care is different.
1: So when you think about, you know, when we talk about plan of care for folks who might not be medically inclined, who might be watching this today or later, um, you're really probably talking about an exploration, I suspect, of their needs, wants, and priorities it's a concept we talk a lot about in our organization, right, with our patients and families. Do you find, and I think you alluded to that, but but I, I just want to explore this a little bit more. Do you find that those things change over some span of time?
2: They change almost with every visit they can. Um, you know, I remember having one patient and I went in to see them that day and the caregiver, she just was so tired. Um, And I said, what is going on? Um, Are you not feeling well? Because, you know, the caregiver, the one that's caring for that patient most of the time, I need them well, you know, I need them to be able to to help take care of that patient when we're not in the home. Mm -hmm. And so she shared with me that she had, not been sleeping well um, so at that point i started the conversation you know maybe we need to add a volunteer um, she said well what what can they do and i said you know i said that volunteer can come in here and just be a companion with the patient and you can go upstairs and take a nap um, and we implemented that and it worked out wonderful for her
1: you saw it almost immediate difference.
2: I, uh, I did. Uh, she felt, the next time I saw her, she felt replenished. She felt like she could carry on the day. Um, another, for instance, there, um, I had another caregiver that there was no family. Her, her children had passed and she was caring for her spouse. Um, so she was having a hard time just going to the grocery store. Or going to her own doctor's visits. And so we got a volunteer to come in the home, and that allowed her enough time to do those things. Also, giving her a break from the patient by just being able to get out of the home and do those things.
1: So, you know, you've hit on a couple things that I think are really impactful um, for po- folks who may be watching this either now or later uh, or listening to it at some time in the, in the future. You know, is that um, you're, you're a nurse and you're going into a home and people when we go to when we when we interact with a nurse in healthcare we're expecting people to uh, a nurse to do the things that nurses do take our temperature and check our blood pressure and uh, measure our respirations right those right. are the normal expected things that a nurse would do. And we would consider those in healthcare to be vital signs, but you're talking about vital signs that are incredibly a, a tremendous departure that really aren't even related to the patient. Right. So
2: we are just we are in the home just as much for the family or and the caregivers as we are for that patient, yeah. uh, because this is a this is an intimate time. This is when the whole family is surrounding that patient to care for that patient. So I'm looking at the whole family when I'm in the home, you know, is there any conflict that might be going on? Can we help there? Um, You know, and that's when I might call in a social worker or sometimes I, at times I've even had to plan family meetings because Mm -hmm. siblings, was not in agreement with maybe what the the caregiver was actually how they were caring for that patient, um, and I remember one that um, you know the the patient had declined and they were getting very near the end of end of life, and so all these symptoms were showing up, and so we had to start using some of the comfort medications uh, when when the caregiver started using those medications to keep the patient comfortable, the daughters, um, they didn't like it. And they were actually giving the caregiver a hard time during that process. And so I offered to, you know, to talk with the daughters and I did at one point and it really didn't help that much. So then I collaborated with my team, my social worker uh, the doctor, the director of patient services at that time. And we all planned the family meeting so that all the family can come in that home and we could discuss everything. Uh, we allowed them to discuss their fears, their concerns, you know, to share their feelings about what we might be having to use here. Um, so... During that meeting, everybody, you know, we listened to them, we explained why we use these medications, and everybody came to agreement that, you know, let's keep Dad comfortable. That's what we want. So the team helps in that kind of way too when there's family dynamics going on. Sure. Um, and they're a great support to me as well as they are the other
1: families. So, so that's it, that's interesting. So you draw support from your own team members. Yes, sir, I do. Yeah, wow. Well, so you mentioned something uh, about fear. Um, and I suspect, you know, Lynette, in, in the time that you have worked in hospice care, with our organization, you have cared for many, many patients
0: mm-hmm. and their
1: families. Mm-hmm. Um, I suspect fear is not an uncommon emotion that people have when you're first meeting them, right?
2: No, they... They fear the unknown, they fear what this, you know, what visits are gonna be like when we come in the home. You know, some families have shared that, you know, they're, are we looking at how they live? You know, are we gonna turn them into, you know, someone? And I, I, I kind of ease their fears there and I say, you have no worries, I'm here for you. And I'm here for the fam. you know, the patient. Uh, I'm not looking at all that stuff. I'm just here for your emotional support. I'm here for the patient's physical, emotional, mental, all those, uh, the, the whole picture, the whole person. That's what I'm treating when I'm in that home.
1: <clears throat> um, I'm sure along with that, you probably get, I mean, it sounds like what you're describing, what I know to be true, is that you're part caregiver part teacher, part nurse, you're sort of pieces and parts of all of this, right? And, and, you, and you have a team that supports all of those things too. Um, that that much is clear. Um, but you know, have you do families ever ask you, or do they ever, do they, do they ever begin a question or end a question with, I, I bet you've never been asked that question before? Or has anybody ever asked you this, right? I mean, does that happen? And how frequent is that?
2: That's almost with every patient that I've ever served. Um, you know, sometimes it might be something as personal as, you know, constipation. Something that people don't like to talk about. But the biggest and most common one that people will ask and they'll say, I know you get asked this all the time. Um, and I know you know, so tell me, what's the time frame? Um, so that's a big, big, big question that families want there. And that's when the teaching part of the nursing comes in and I'm able to kind of guide them as to where we may be in the process.
1: Right. And so part of what you're doing too, I'm sure, is helping normalize those conversations and letting them know, you know, because most of the time my experience has been, I know for me personally, if I'm asking that question, it's because I don't want, I want some affirmation that people are asking the same questions that I am because nobody wants to ask the outlier question, right?
2: Right.
0: Thank you for joining us for part one of our discussion, Conversations and Care, working together between Trent and Lynette. Join us next time as we conclude this powerful yet personal conversation on the hospice team and the services they provide together. Until then, I'm Ryan Biagini, and this has been the E-Series.